a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michelle Vandenberg. Coming up on the program. Diplomatic milestone, China hosts the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation in Beijing to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the initiative. In conversation, co-chair of the Europe Asia Center sheds more light on the Belt and Road Initiative's green commitment in an interview with CGTN. Taking action, 10 state-owned Chinese firms announced a share repurchase plans to stabilize stock prices. Let's open with the ongoing third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. Chinese President Xi Jinping met with Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, Kazakhstan's President Kasim Jomart Tokayev, and Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban on Tuesday. During Xi's meeting with Abiy Ahmed, China and Ethiopia signed a joint statement to elevate their ties to an all-weather strategic partnership. She said the Belt and Road cooperation between China and Ethiopia has been at the forefront of China-Africa cooperation in terms of fields and results. While meeting with Kazakhstan's President Tokayev, President Xi emphasized the importance of a strong Sino-Kazakh relationship to ensure mutual development and regional peace and stability. She also urged both nations to continue fostering their comprehensive strategic partnership despite changes in the international situation. During his meeting with Orban, President Xi thanks Orban for his support of China's Belt and Road Initiative. He said bilateral ties have maintained high-level development, and China is willing to take their comprehensive strategic partnership to new levels. Now for the latest on the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation, our Michael Wong joins us now at the China National Convention Center, the venue for the forum. Hi there, Michael. So how's it going there? Hi there, Michelle. It is going well. It is day one of the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. Uh, we've got over 4,000 participants from over 140 countries and 30-plus international organizations attending the event this year. Now, today, the spotlight is on the CEO conference, which is actually taking place right now as we speak. The conference sees business leaders from global and Chinese companies coming together at the forum to discuss the achievements of the Belt and Road Initiative in the past decade, finding more areas of cooperation plus the inking of new memorandums of understanding and deals as well. Now, speaking of the CEO conference, earlier we spoke to Mr. Yu Jianlong, Vice Chairman of the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade, one of the organizers for the CEO conference, to get his take on the significance of this year's event. Take a listen. The number of projects, countries involved, and the amount of contracts signed are all much higher than the Entrepreneurs' Conference held last year. It fully demonstrates the fruitful results of the active participation of Chinese and foreign business communities in the international cooperation under the Belt and Road, and shows the firm confidence of continuing to contribute to the high-quality Belt and Road construction. 
Well, well-functioning infrastructure is critical in unlocking the potential of economic development, and that's why infrastructure connectivity is a key pillar of the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, one company that is contributing to infrastructure connectivity across Eurasia and beyond is a China Railway Construction Corporation, or CRCC. Now, I spoke with Mr. Wang Lixin, president of CRCC, for more on what the BRI means for the world in a time of rising uncertainty. Take a listen. The Belt and Road Initiative has merged its pivotal force in the global economy. It has not only created new avenues for economic growth, but also established a robust platform for international trade and investment. The countries involved have witnessed increased development capacity and improved well-being. Furthermore, the BRI has introduced innovative practices that enhance global governance offering a sense of certainty and stability during times of profound change. As the BRI continues to gain momentum, it will further streamline the flow of information, capital, technology, products, industries, and people. This, in turn, will contribute to the positive evolution of economic globalization. The BRI is poised to promote broader and deeper international cooperation, injecting momentum into global stability and development on a larger scale and at higher level. Now here at the Belt and Road Forum, I also spoke with Eric Solheim, who is the co-chair of the Europe-Asia Center and a former executive director of the United Nations Environment Program. We spoke about the Belt and Road Initiative's commitment to going green. Well, it's been 10 years since the initiative was first proposed, Eric. Have you seen sort of the green element really being implemented, that green agenda being pushed into the BRI? Absolutely, and I think there are two main areas. One is green corridors, like rail and road corridors, and the other is renewable energies. After China stopped overseas coal investment, of course the focus is on renewables. The biggest solar company in the world is Longe from China. The biggest electric car company is BYD from China. The biggest electric battery company is Seattle from China. So there are enormous opportunities for green investment in the 150 countries which are now part of Belt and Road. And the green corridors in Africa and Indonesia and Laos and many other places are, of course, moving transport from roads into railroads, and that done largely in an environment-friendly way. For instance, in Africa and the Nairobi-Mombasa Railroad, there are any number of passes and underpasses so that elephants and giraffes and zebras can pass the railroad without being harmed. Yeah. Eric, I think what's really concerning is that the latest report from the UN says that we are really off track when it comes to achieving the uh, Paris Climate Agreement goals. Can the BRI, you think, in some way support the international community, especially developing economies that need more resources to make that green transition? Can the BRI help the world at least to get somewhere closer to carbon neutrality? I'm a lot more optimistic than this view because I believe everything in the world goes slow until it starts going very fast. And we are now at a point where the green development is supercharging, going very fast. And the main issue is, of course, that the price of solar is now much lower everywhere in the world than the price of coal. So it's economically viable to go from the fossil fuels into the green. You save money, you create more jobs, and it's much better for Mother Earth. And of course, Belt and Road is an enormous opportunity to supercharge this development by green investments 
in the developing countries. Mm. And I believe this will be the number one ask at the conference here in, in Beijing. Developing countries will ask for Chinese government and Chinese private enterprises to invest more in the green sectors in their nations. Yeah. So like you mentioned, China is a leader now when it comes to solar, when it comes to wind, when it comes to EV. Do you see the Belt and Road Initiative perhaps supporting the scaling up of green technologies, spilling over in terms of externalities to positive externalities to other economies, uh, scaling up green technologies, but also scaling up green finance? Does it have that potential? Absolutely. And of course, technology transfer is not happening in government meeting rooms. I mean, a government can do not really transfer technology to another government. It's in business, it's on the ground, it's happening with engineers and mechanics and local people. And that's, of course, where Belt and Road has an enormous opportunity. Say when BYD just announced that they will set up a big facility for electric cars in Brazil, that will be a way of transferring technology, but of course also creating electric cars for the Brazil Brazilian markets. And there are so many other examples of this technology transfer, and I believe Belt and Road is a central vehicle for that. Yeah. I want to zoom out a little bit, um, Eric. Right now the world, of course, we are seeing rising uncertainty. We're seeing potentially the rise of fragmentation, rising geopolitical risks. Can the Belt and Road Initiative play a part in terms of being a force maybe for global stability, being a force where it can support international cooperation on trade a little bit more in such an uncertain world? Absolutely. It should be and is a force for stability and for economic progress. Look, horrible as the war in Ukraine or the war between Israelis and Palestinians are, the vast majority of nations in the world are not at war. Mm. And many of the people are, uh, are poor, and those who are not poor still want more economic benefits in their life. They want better health, they want better education, better infrastructure. So we, we should not be so distracted by the conflicts that we forget that we need to develop the world. And also, cause a developed world will have less conflicts, because conflicts tend to be in the more poor areas. Uh, because with affluence, uh, everywhere in the world, conflicts tend to be a little bit less. Now, Chinese investments in renewable energy projects account for over half of the country's total investment in Belt and Road partner countries. Now, China's carbon neutrality roadmap means it needs to achieve net zero faster compared to advanced economies. And that also translates into the BRI supporting partner countries in their very own green transitions. Our Yu Quinn explains. On China's Belt and Road Initiative roadmap, green is now the most favored color. China has been showing great commitment towards making sustainable energy investments in the BRI by reducing correlated investments and increasing renewable ones. A latest report shows that in the first half of 2023, China's energy-related engagement was the greenest over the past decade. Over 56% of the energy investment went to renewable sectors such as solar, wind, and hydropower. The total amount of the engagement in those areas reached 4.8 billion U.S. dollars in the first six months, with that compared with 3.8 billion U.S. dollars in the same period last year. In 2018, China released Green Investment Principle, a set of principles that is aiming to promote green infrastructure investment under the BRI. With so far, over 40 large international financial institutions have embraced the GIP. A year later, the BRI International Green Development Coalition was established, 
a platform that's aiming to bring together environmental expertise to share knowledge, data, and analysis that is related to green development of the BRI. One of the pivotal moments for BRI's green push was in 2021, when China pledged to stop building new coal-fired power plants abroad. It was historic, because back then, a large proportion of China's investments along the BRI were related to fossil fuel projects. Will in 2021 and 2022, coal-related investments drop to zero? On the other hand, investments in renewable energy saw a 50% drop in 2022. Data shows that China currently provides 10 billion US dollars annually to support renewable energy abroad through the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, tomorrow, Chinese President Xi Jinping will attend the opening ceremony of the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation and deliver a keynote speech. Of course, CGTN will bring you live coverage of that event and unpack for you the key messages from the opening ceremony. So do indeed stay tuned for that. But for now, it's back to you, Michelle. Thank you very much for that and looking forward for more coverage from you tomorrow. Michael Wong for us at the Belt and Road Forum. At a Beijing event attended by government, business, and academic leaders, the UN Global Compact introduced fresh guidance and assessment tools for firms in Belt and Road partner countries to promote sustainable infrastructure. These reports uh, elucidate the connection between BRI and sustainable development goals, providing practical insights for companies to align their projects with global sustainability trends. The aim is to ensure that infrastructure initiatives not only meet immediate needs, but also contribute to long-term sustainable development. This evening we're here to launch a set of reports and tools that answer the call to action that we were given in 2019 and that we have heard many times through through the sustainable development goals about the need to provide a compass to foster responsible business, facilitate cross-sector collaboration, and cross-border collaboration as well. The publications that we shall launch provide actionable insights, data, assessment tools, and best practices to help transform infrastructure projects from simply constructing, but truly to transforming into holistic and inclusive projects that integrate the needs of people and planet. We anticipate that the third Belt and Road Forum will help us reaffirm our collective commitment to the principles, as I said, of sustainability, inclusivity, and shared prosperity. In the last decade, China National Building Material, or CNBM, has showcased a remarkable global expansion within the Belt and Road Initiative framework. To gain deeper insights into CNBM's achievements and experiences during this period, as well as their future international business plans, my colleague Zheng Junfeng spoke to Zhou Yuxian, chairman of China National Building Material Group. So after so many years in overseas market, what kind of experience has your company accumulated and uh, how can these experience be uh, used in the overall business in the group? CMBM has indeed accumulated some experience through going global. First of all, we have learned a number of mature international models. Second, we have some typical international projects, as you can see. Third, we have also participated in a batch of international mergers and acquisitions. At the same time, we have built a number of international brands, and we have also accumulated some internationalization resources, such as international partners. 
Overall, the three business fields and four major business sectors of CNBM have all made some breakthroughs around the Belt and Road Initiative. Our basic building materials explore markets in Zambia, Mongolia, and Nigeria. Our new materials, such as glass fiber, have been used in Egypt and the United States. We also have a research and development center for CIGS power glass in Germany. In the cement and glass engineering and technology services segments, after about five or six years of hard work, CMBM's market share has ranked first in the global market for 15 consecutive years. Our overall market share is almost two-thirds, so this model is also very successful. So this model is also it's been 10 years since the start of the Belt and Road Initiative. 10 years is quite a long time. And how would your company continue to expand its overseas markets and improve its overseas business operation? This year marks the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. We will take this opportunity to summarize some cases. Our first priority is to seek a faster internationalization, which is actually very important for the sustainable development of CMBM. Whether it is basic building materials, new materials, or engineering and technical services, the growth potential will be affected once leaving the international market. Also, we hope our internationalization could be deeper, more tangible, and more steady. Basically, we should be able to strengthen our efforts and speed up the original basis to go deeper and further. You just mentioned your company operating more than 100 countries around the world. Under the Belt and Road Initiative, Chinese companies and overseas market have a lot of communication opportunities. And your company is hiring some, you just mentioned, 20,000 overseas employees around the world. How would you change from going out to going into overseas markets? CMBM proposes three principles for overseas investment. Firstly, to contribute to the local economy. Secondly, to cooperate with the local enterprises. And thirdly, to provide services for local residents. For example, in the case of Egypt, it is obvious that we helped them build cement factories and fiberglass factories there. And the contribution to tax revenue and GDP is crucial in the country. In terms of cooperation with local enterprises, we have done a lot, such as in Europe. We have cooperated with St. Gobain, and we have cooperated with Lafarge. We are considering further collaboration and may set up a dual carbon center in Europe. Now, we also set up joint laboratories with developing countries, so that we can really serve the local residents more. The main thing is to be able to cultivate and upgrade their skills, especially in countries along the Belt and Road, which I think is very important. Especially in such a severe international environment, I think we must make greater efforts to internationalize. As enterprises, especially Chinese central government-owned enterprises, we should set an example to internationalize. The more we should be ahead and the more opportunities we have to do so, we really need to contribute to the local community, provide some services to local residents, and also cooperate with local enterprises.
助点服务。Now, for more on how China supports companies within the BRI framework, we're joined by Chu Qiang, a research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Hi there, Chu Qiang. So first, can you explain to us the process by which companies express their intent to sign contracts and then undertake projects within the framework? Well, you have to understand the Belt and Road Initiative. Essentially, it's not a political platform, but instead, it's a business.、Uh, it's a business initiative. It's a business opportunity. So, if an enterprise is want to join this opportunity, basically, they need just to talk to the relevant government bodies or the business chambers in their own country, which match their Chinese counterpart, and then they can file applications and they can do it. And under this framework, they can focus on what is the most needed area, for example, infrastructure, digital equipment, high technology, or modernized service sectors. And then they can do it. And、uh, if they really have a great、uh, project, they can ask for the new development bank and other platform for the further、uh, leverage on the financing or for their services through the government bodies or through the international organizations. So very easily they can put their、uh, business opportunities on the right track. It's like a fast lane of a cross-border business operation. Now China has been very firm on continued opening up. What specific measures has China implemented? To uphold its open policy and improve the business environment for both domestic and foreign companies. Well, I think Chinese policies are very, very、uh, firm and steady. If you can see the Chinese、uh, implementations of the policies in the recent three or four years, especially after this year, you see many areas has made solid progress. For example,、uh, the entity list. We have made a very clear negative positive list that the market entry and the threshold for the foreign companies coming into China and also try to regulate. Chinese enterprises to have a play outside of China, and also in the financial area, you see a foreign company usually have a hard time to find financial support in alien country. But in China, we're providing more and more support for the international players to get the、uh, to get the financial support with their collaterals and with their credit in China, as well as the entry and the regulation of the government. We can lower the bars and provide a unified. Standard to help international players to get their documents, to get their permit in China, and as well as internet, as well as inter intellectual property rights protection laws has already been further strengthened in China to protect the international research institute and the companies, since these are the most major players in Chinese investing investment forces right now. So you see, more and more things have been implemented out to support foreign players to be in China. Just at the、uh, first half of this year, we've been seeing more than 33,000 of the newly registered foreign companies in China. It's about six percent increase compared to the same period last year. Yeah, and how have these efforts or measures、uh, to enhance business environment positively impacted the growth and development of businesses operating in China? Well. There are too many details, but let me just give you one small result.、Uh, judging from the performance, even in the re most recent three years, we still see the foreign companies in China has gained averagely eight percent to ten percent of the revenue rate、uh, of the last three years. Well, compared to the mature market like West Europe and America, the basic income ratio is like six percent or four percent. And even comparing to many fast-growing economies, for example, ASEAN nations in Indonesia and Vietnam, 
their real gross of their uh, return in the profit of the company is around 6%. So you see, in China, because we have maintained the stability and maintained the clear of the uh, policies, the reason why that foreign companies have a solid game with the fast growth in China showed the result of all those policy combos. Yeah, and more specifically, could you provide some examples of some successful projects or collaborations that have emerged as a result of China's commitment to an open policy and improved business environment? Well, we see many uh, foreign R&D enterprises. For example, I would just skip the name because there's some still a certain part of the confidential in here. Uh, they started some uh, CXO, which is the research uh, facilities for the newly researched medicines in Shenzhen. Usually you see for every country, the threshold and the bar for the entry for a foreign company into a local pharmaceutical area should be very high in the street because it concerns people's health and uh, you know vital conditions. But right now in Shenzhen, they have issued many policies for the entry of the research-oriented companies to get into them. And also to match with that, they issued the new regulations on the bankruptcy uh, uh, policies on the foreign companies in the research R&D. Because these tech-savvy industries are usually very high risk, but also high return. So all these policy companies make sure a tax-savvy, research-oriented foreign companies get into Shenzhen, can be located, can get the financial support, get the permit, and immediately start their business. And they're doing quite fine in the past three years, and they're seeing the potential to get the IPO. All right, thank you so much for your insights. Really appreciate your time. Chitang Research Fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University for us. In a move aimed at stabilizing stock prices, 10 state-owned Chinese companies, including industry giants like China Mobile, Sinopec, and Bao Steel, have disclosed share repurchase plans totaling around 8 billion yuan, or 100 billion million US dollars. The announcement follows Central Huijin Investment, the parent company of China's top four state-owned banks, plan to increase its stakes in these banks. 16 firms listed on China's Nasdaq style Starboard have also pledged active measures to support share prices. According to the Securities Times, over 100 listed companies have revealed shares repurchased strategies since September. Analysts believe these plans indicate that China's stock market may have already hit or is approaching its lowest point. Now let's look at other major news making headlines this hour. Singapore's non-oil domestic exports fell in September, the 12th straight month of contraction. But month-on-month growth was 11.1%. Compared with August, domestic exports of both electronic and non-electronic products increased. The Reserve Bank of Australia considered raising rates again at its October policy meeting, but opted to keep them on hold, worried that a cumulative 4 percentage point increase could cause the economy to slow more than expected. The RBA reiterated that further policy tightening may be needed to control inflation. New Zealand's inflation rate slowed more than expected to 5.6%, slightly below economists' forecast of 5.9% annual growth, as easing inflationary pressures reduced the chances of an increase in the cash rate this year. The New Zealand dollar fell 0.4% against the U.S. dollar after the data was released. And that will do it for this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michelle Vandenberg in Beijing.